The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. Ephesians chapter 5. This will be kind of a base text. We'll look at verse, uh, we'll read 22 through the end of the chapter. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our great God and Father in heaven, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the beauty of your word today. We pray that it would exhort us, correct us, encourage us, and ultimately, Lord, we pray that it would transform us more into the image and likeness of our Savior. We pray that you would faithfully carry out this work that you would do it for the good of your people and the glory of your name. We ask it in our Savior's great and mighty name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, as many of you know, we have been embarking on the topic of biblical masculinity, I think for, this would be our eighth or ninth month now. Uh, and we said that we were doing so because we believe that the need for clarity on this topic um, could not be greater in our... Well, I don't want to say couldn't be greater because at the pace at which things keep going, it'll probably be greater uh, in a couple of weeks than it was today and greater months from now than it was uh, today also. The need for clarity on what is a man uh, is hugely important in our current time. So both for ourselves as men... And if you are a dad who's raising a young man, for you as you're raising and crafting that young man to grow into a man, uh, if you're a dad like me and have only sired daughters, looking for uh, developing in them what they would look for in a future husband, right? So we're shaping on both sides of things. What does the Bible say? And when it comes to defining what is a man, we have no interest whatsoever in what the world has to offer on the topic. Number one, currently, they can't even tell you what a man or a woman is. I saw a, uh, an interview. It had to have been some sort of governmental hearing. And this 
guy, although I'm no doctor, but what appeared to be a man, that was a joke, (laughs) asked a lady if a man can have a baby. And she said, yes. That is the state of confusion. And they weren't joking. It wasn't like, ah, ha, ha, this is funny. She was serious and offended that he would even have to ask such a thing. That's the world that we're trying to reach with the gospel. That's the world that we are living in as men and raising our kids in to be God-fearing men and women for his glory. So because we believe the Bible, we believe that God created humanity with two genders, male and female, and you don't get a cross between the two of them. It just is that plain. And so those two genders within uh, humanity, both being made in God's image, they share some things together. There are things that are true of men as well as women. Both are made in God's image. Because both are made in God's image, both are due honor, dignity, and respect. Both reflect God in certain ways and in certain areas, right? There's going to be similarities in which they would carry out their life as a Christian. Both pray, both read the Bible, both are called to obedience, both are called to worship God by lifting up their voice. I mean, there's so many similarities, but there are uniquenesses. And when it comes to discerning what those areas of uniqueness are, I'm not going to be looking to the world to dictate that to me. I'm going to be looking to God's word. He's the one who created us, and he created us with uh, similarities and distinctions. And so we want to consider those distinctions as specifically with regards to what we're called to as men. There are no ladies present here today, and so I'm not going to talk about what God calls ladies to. If you are accidentally here as a lady, I'm sorry that you showed up. But this is a group for men to look at what the Bible has to say about men. The two that we want to specifically consider today is the the man's duty to provide and protect those in his life. The man's duty. Now, there's a uniqueness here. There's a uniqueness in the way that a man provides for and protects those in his life. So we'll just be looking at those two topics today. We'll be, we'll be running through several scriptures uh, to draw this out. But a brief disclaimer right up front. While there are uniquenesses about this topic, there are also similarities. If you have a God-fearing wife at home, is there a sense in which she provides for her family? Yeah, there is. Is there a sense in which she protects her family. If any of you have tangled with a mama bear, it doesn't go well. Do not mess with a mama bear who's upset, and the best way to mess with a mama bear is to mess with any one of her cubs. You mess with any one of my daughters, Mrs. Corey, small in stature, is coming at you. That's, just, that, that's any God-fearing mom who loves her kids, Right? Is there similarities? Yeah, both provide and both protect. Are there unique uniquenesses? There are. 
And our world is avidly trying to erase those uniquenesses. So I believe that the scripture calls men to be the primary providers and the primary protectors of their family. And that this actually needs to be something that we tackle with uh, intentionality and zeal. Because you are being told from about every area and avenue in your life uh, that this is not a uniqueness that uh, the wife can be the primary breadwinner and the man can be the, the what do they call it? Um, Mr. The Mr. Mom, thank you. <laughs> I'm sad there's a name for it. But uh, yeah, the, the guy could be the mom at home and the wife could be the dude at work and that there's no problems with such a scenario. There's massive problems with such a scenario. Or that uh, a woman can be the primary protector of a, of a family. Not correct, right? So um, we're going to say some things that are a bit controversial today. You know, that doesn't make me sad at all. So first, we want to consider the man's call to provide for his family. This will flow a bit out from what uh, Pastor Eric looked at last time. Pastor Eric looked at last time the uh, duty of a man to work so that we are given work as a gift. Work is not a post-fall accommodation. It's not like we fell into sin and God's like, all right, well, now you got to work. He gave man work before the fall, which, which means that work was something over which the triune God said what word? Good. So is it good for you to work? Yes. Is there a reason why we call our work a vocation, which would come from a Latin word meaning a calling? Yes. It's actually God's calling on your life to invest yourself in work as many days as he gives you strength. There's going to come a day where our strength so diminishes that we can no longer do work. To me, that is a, that's a sad day. It means I want to take every day until that day and pour myself into it. You go to bed tired. Rest is what heaven is for. Right now we work. Now, the element that entered work upon the fall is that it's hard. Now you have dumb bosses or wayward employees, or whichever side of that fence you're on, now there's sweat and toil involved in that work, but that doesn't diminish the dignity of the thing itself. You and I are called to work and to till as image bearers on this earth who do so as a way of exerting dominion over the creation. That was That's what God called Adam to do, to... Guard and keep. We're going to look at those two um, uh, duties uh, in the text of Genesis today. So we're called to guard and keep and develop and to extend things through our work on God's behalf. So it's going to the, the idea of providing flows out of that idea of working. Like you can't really provide for your family if you don't work, unless you inherited a ton of money, in which case I have some business ideas to run past you after our meeting today. Just teasing. I know none of you have tons of money. So um, <laughs> we, we need to work in order to provide. So it's an outflow. There's a connection. Now, at minimum, you provide for yourself. 
And hopefully God brings you into such a place where you provide for others as well. So uh, if you're sitting here today and you're like, not married, don't have kids, not sure how this is applicable. You at minimum need to provide for yourself and God uses your paycheck to also provide for what institution that you're hopefully very connected to. Yeah, he actually uses your provision, your work to help give to the church. And guess where that money goes? It goes to actually continuing the work of the ministry in this valley. It flows in benevolence needs. It goes to helping widows and orphans. God uses that for his kingdom. So even if you're here today and you're like, I don't got a family yet, you're still a provider. You're still providing for yourself and you're still being an active participant in the work of the church. So with that in mind, we want to consider uh, the general call of provision. We'll get to specific applications with uh, marriage and family in a minute, but we're going to first look at that specific call. In Genesis 2, 15, uh, the text says that Yahweh God took man, put him into the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. Now, those two words for work and keep are only uh, found in a, one other context, and they're always used of priests or priestly work. The priest was given the work of, um, the, the Hebrew is to guard and to keep. So as God takes Adam and sets him uh, as a kingly figure on the earth, so he serves in the office of king, he sets him in a prophetic office. He also is the one who uh, declares God's words to the creation. He serves in that third office of a priest. And his, his job is to guard and keep the creation. So hopefully you can even, in hearing those two words come out, see, I'm already starting to see how guarding, protection, and keeping or cultivating provision are at the very center of the commands that God gave to Adam. So your, your duties as provider and protector are priestly duties given to Adam in the garden before the fall. And I do not think that the fall um, abrogates us from that responsibility to be those who guard and those who provide or cultivate the creation. Um, is there a sense where... That is altered uh, in the curse. It is. And you can see that it's a duty specific to Adam. Because some might say, well, maybe the, the command to guard and keep is given to humanity. Well, I, I, I think it's specifically given to the male aspect of humanity. You might say, well, how would you show that from the text? Well, Eve's curses actually reflect specifically feminine qualities and Adam's curses actually reflect male qualities. So if you look at the curse that God put on man, he didn't tell the man you will have pain in childbirth as opposed to what maybe our culture would think. So what he tells man is in 317 and to Adam, he said, You've listened to the voice of your wife, and you've eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you. You shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground. So here, the idea of work and cultivation comes in. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and from the dust you shall return. This curse that's put on Adam specifically has to do with his keeping and cultivating, providing and protecting, of the creation. So he doesn't tell him, hey, I'm letting you off the hook because the curse, the whole thing with the snake happened, um, we'll, we'll, we'll change what life looks like. No, he actually says your, your job now got harder. Now involved in providing for the bread that goes on your table, sweat, angst, difficulty. I don't think I'm going to have to go through many analogies to like, prove to you that there are days at work that are just simply arduous and frustrating. That's because Adam, according to the word, listened to his wife and ate of the fruit that he should not have eaten of. Now, is there an argument to be made? This is like a side thing that is an interesting thing to think about, but we don't have time to chase it down much today. Adam was given the job of guarding and keeping the garden. What ought he have done when a snake came into the garden and starts telling his wife to question God? Bum rushed that dumb snake out of the garden or, yeah, taking its head off, according to Don. So whichever method you wanted to employ, is there a sense where Adam's uh, duty is already slipping in not keeping yeah, I think there's actually a good argument to be made for that, especially when it says it wasn't off, like, it isn't that he was off riding a lion and came back and was like, what are you doing? Although riding a lion would be sweet. But says that she turns and gives the fruit to the husband who is with her. It seems like Adam is in near proximity during this whole thing and doesn't run off the snake. This idea of work or the, this um, imperative of work is a non-negotiable. This is clear throughout all of Scripture. So if you want one text, you're like, what's one place where I could point to either to myself or friends or people in my life who think work is uh, optional? Where would I say the Scripture speaks clearly to that effect? 2 Thessalonians 3.10 should be one of your life verses, especially in teaching and raising up sons. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not collect welfare. Eat. That, that, that is the clear instruction of the word of God. If you are not willing to work, you should not be reaping the benefits of that. It's not rocket science. It's not super difficult. If you're not willing to work and engage in the employment that God has given us to do, food should not be rewarded unto you. This is, this, this is why I, I would actually have quite a uh, difficult time supporting the giving away of uh, money and goods to those who are willing to put out nothing in return. Does this mean never help people? No, it doesn't mean that. Are we to be help, helping and uh, benevolent? Absolutely. But we're all called to work, especially if we're going to eat. Now, this, I, uh, this command to be providers 
actually works its way over then in specific iterations in marriage and in family. So we read from Ephesians chapter 5 and looked at the, uh, the commands of a, uh, for a husband and for a wife. We're just going to consider the husband's commands uh, today. And we've mentioned, I think, from the very uh, outset of our study that when we look at biblical masculinity, for lack of a better term, who is the ultimate iteration of that? Jesus is, right? So Jesus is not some long-haired, soft-skinned, soft-handed, effeminate individual like all the photos that our Second Commandment violations depict him as. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus was a man. Jesus was in every way obedient to what God called him to, which means he's going to be the perfect man. So when we look to see how are we going to carry out uh, our duties as men, we'll look no further and you can look no higher than the Lord Jesus Christ. And seeing how he interacts with his bride, the church, is the model to which our interactions with our well, your own wife, you don't have multiple wives, but your wife uh, and your children, that's what it's to look like. So is the husband called to be that provider for, if he's married, his own wife? Absolutely. Is there any arguing with this? There's actually no room to argue with this. Look at, if you're open to Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. We'll get to cherishes it, because that's a defending kind of a word. The idea of nourishing your wife cannot be fulfilled if you do not provide, well, sustenance for her. To provide the food and the, the finances, the clothing and protection that she needs. In fact... While the context is a little different, there's a text in the Old Testament, Exodus 21, that actually talks about, now there's, like I said, there's some, there's some differences there because it's a wife taken from someone in captivity. Now hopefully no one here is like, that's how I got mine. <clears throat> if it is, you should meet with Pastor Charlie and he can begin counseling immediately. Um, that man was commanded by the word of God that he was not permitted to uh, fail in the providing of food and clothing. And uh, we, we, we've got younger men in our presence today. So, uh, and um, marital activity. You're not to diminish any one of those three. Maybe even as you hear that, you're like, Okay, I yeah would be rebuked on the clothing and food, but I don't know why you'd you know reduce the other one. But that's not here nor there. Any reduction of those marital fidelity, so faithfulness sexually, food and clothing, to fail to do that is actually portrayed in that text as covenant breaking, and she would be permitted to leave. Does that indicate to us the great uh, gravity that these things are in God's word? For a man to fail to do this is seen as being covenantally faithless. Yeah, that, that's a weighty thing 
to see in God's word that this is the seriousness with which he uh, views um, your providing for your family. That to fail to do so is seen as covenant infidelity. Another aspect of it, if you are married and your wife is a Christian, I'm hoping that's the vast majority of the cases in here today, you're providing for a king's daughter. That's who your wife is. Now, as a dad with daughters, I would take great exception if the young man that I handed my daughter off to, in negligence, laziness, or unwillingness, or whatever it was, failed to provide for her, guess who he has problems with now? Dad. Dad's going to go have a conversation or dig a hole, whichever one needs to happen, and we'll take care of the situation. The same is true of you with one of God's daughters. You'd better take care of the daughter God gave you. It's a serious weight that should be felt on the shoulders of every married man in here. And young men who have yet to be married, that should be a considerable weight on your shoulders as you think, man, I'd like to get married. And you have all of these reasons as to why I want to get married. Those are all good reasons. Well, I don't know what they are in your head, so I can't say they're all good reasons. But there's many good ones to get married. But you should feel the weight of taking on one of God's daughters. If she's not a Christian, you have no business marrying her, right? You know, to be unequally yoked, the scripture says. So the only, uh, the only uh, daughters of Eve that are eligible would be God-fearing daughters. And that means that they're, they belong to God. So to fail to provide for one of God's daughters is seen uh, both with regards to her as covenant unfaithfulness and with regards to the Lord as covenant unfaithfulness. And this also is non-negotiable. So uh, in Timothy or 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, Paul says, but if anyone does not, listen to even the language of this, provide for his, and he even extends it beyond just the wife, his relatives, and especially for the members of his own house, he's confused, he, he got an art degree, and, and just the jobs aren't lining up, Paul said. He's waiting for that cherry of a job, and that boss who really ex- like understands what a gifted man he is to come along. Like, no, that's not what Paul says. Paul says if you're not willing to provide for your family, especially those who live in your house, what does he say of such a man? You have denied the faith. Paul says this is like a moral and theological issue. Not a misguided one, not a lack of opportunity, not, not any of those things. You're a faith denier and is worse than a unbeliever. Is there anything worse than an unbeliever? Yes, the guy who doesn't provide for his house, according to Paul. That's a low blow, Paul. But it's God's word inspired by his spirit. So when it comes to these things, brethren, these are not light, optional things as the world would have us believe. These are weighty. These lie really at the core of who and what we are. You might say, well, 
There's a lot of circumstances that surround uh, providing for your family. I would say absolutely. There's, there's two major categories, two ways in which we provide for our families. Man, um, this watch can't be right. The first is physical. That does not mean you need to be rich. That's now what that means. Some would say you have to be independently wealthy before you can be categorized as providing for your family. Simply not true. Now, as a dad with girls, this is something that I, I need to encourage other dads with girls. The man does not need to be independently wealthy to qualify as a provider. Exodus says clothing, food. When, when I married my wife, if I had $2 to rub together, that was a good day. I had two whole bucks. We were not well. I mean, it was, there were times where we would once a month go out to eat, which is a rare treat, and we would literally split a hamburger, and that was seen as like, man, this is a, this is a red letter day. <laughs> but she always had food. She always had clothing, and as long as I've got blood in my veins and breath in my lungs, that would be the case. Doesn't have to be wealthy, but if he's lazy, doesn't matter really how much he has in the bank account, that will dwindle away quickly. So what are we going to prioritize with regards to developing in our sons or in um, looking, teaching our daughters to look for in others? A man of character above everything else. Is he a, a man of character who will, by a rule of character, provide? Absolutely. If, uh, if so, then that's a, that's, a, that's a quality man. If not, I don't care how rich he is. Proverbs is clear that a lazy man, doesn't matter how uh, rich he is, that will bleed away and then she'll be married to a broke bum. And that's, that's uh, suboptimal, as some would say. So if uh, your family languishes because of, uh, let's say you were to be stricken by a disease over which you did not have control, are those accompanying circumstances? Absolutely. And it's one of the uh, primary reasons I think being part of a faithful, God-fearing church is so desperately important. Having other brothers around so that if you are ever stricken either by an accident, some idiot hits you on the road, or you uh, become incapacitated due to a disease or an illness or infirmity, are there those around who can help with that? I think that's desperately important. But barring physical infirmity or things like that, or I guess you could add to it mental infirmity, uh, you are to be providing for your family. Are there, are there, otherworldly, I don't mean like spirit world, but just like elements out in the world that have to deal with uh, a dad's ability to provide. There, there are. Uh, for those of you who know a little bit about my family history, uh, my dad is, you can never say was with a Marine or with a logger. You're always a logger or always a Marine. My dad is a logger and uh, we owned our own logging company and I think it was in 91 the whole nonsense with the spotted owl destroyed our, our entire livelihood. And we lost li literally everything. The home we live, everything. That does not mean my dad failed to provide. No, we worked our way out of that. 
So are there elements in the world that sometimes impinge upon your ability to provide? Yes, they just create new circumstances and new difficulties, but a man who fears God will tackle them head on. And that was probably one of the most impactful things for me as a young man is watching my dad lose, I I was six when the whole thing happened, lose everything and never make excuses, never blame, not give way to anger, but just, okay, now we need to alter what we do and we're moving forward and never blink for a minute. That is what a young man needed to see in his dad when I was growing up. And that's what our family needed from my dad uh, when that happened. So difficulties does not mean that you are not a provider. Uh, Physical infirmities does not mean you're not a provider. Those are difficult things, but the man of God seeks to overcome each and every one of them. Laziness, however, ought not to be tolerated. A man who's not willing to work, according to the scripture, is in covenant violation, shouldn't eat, and is worse than an unbeliever. There are also those, and uh, I might step on toes with this one, good, um, who look for the easiest way to make a buck. And they're going to wait until that falls into their laps. And their family suffers until that time. Brothers, not acceptable. Not acceptable. My generation in particular, really, really bad with this. I know several friends who are waiting for some easy cush job to come along and they make six figures for doing nothing. Unacceptable. Unacceptable by God's standards. You work and provide for your family. If God so blesses you with such a job, all right, there you go. You're a firefighter. Congratulations. I'm sure I'll hear more about that one later. (laughs) Congratulations. God's blessed you with a wonderful job that provides abundantly for your family. But you don't sit around on your backside waiting for that. You work and provide for your family because you see it as a God-given duty. Now, is there another sense in which you are to be a provider for your family? Yes, you're to be a spiritual provider for your family as well. So just like laziness is not acceptable in the first area of provision, guess what? Laziness is not acceptable in the second area of provision. If I had a dollar for every guy that I knew who was his family's biggest impediment to pursuing God, I would not have to work as much because I would have a lot of dollars. You must plant your family where there's a good God-fearing church where the gospel is preached. And if ever you seek to move, what should be your first category, the first box you have to check before you actually move. Is there a church there that actually preaches the gospel and will care for me and my family? I've known a lot of guys who've moved away, didn't look at it. They said the job's there. Uh, I'm sure there's a church there. I'm like, I hope for your sake there is. You have to be the man who provides for your family spiritually. That involves helping getting them up and a church in some form of put-togetherness. That, that, that means not being the one who allows things like, and this is where we get a little meddling, 
uh, sports to get in the way of church attendance. That's a tough one, too. You need to be those who faithfully guard that. Pastor Brian will talk, I think, in one or two sessions on the, um, the duty of a man to carry out family worship. So we're not going to cover that here. He will t- cover that then. But you as the man need to be providing that spiritual oversight, insight, and guidance to your family. That do- that's not easy. A lot of you are like, I'd rather work. That's easier. You're right. That is easier. <laughs> Who's the hardest people in the world to lead spiritually? Those who live with you, who know you're a terrible sinner. Those are the hard ones. <laughs> but those are the most necessary ones, right? So if you don't have the theological understanding or insight to be doing this, buckle up, buttercup. You've got to learn about the Word of God so that you can provide in these ways. God has given that to you. So with provision, I can't believe we're already at this time, but we'll just motor on. Uh, if you're retired, does providing for your family look a certain kind of way? It actually does look a certain kind of way. It does look a little different, right? You're entering into that phase of life where your ability physically to provide for your family has been limited. And so hopefully uh, before that happened, you were able to lay stuff away. Young men who are still in school and you're like, I don't have a job yet because of child labor laws that destroy our country. But that's a different thing altogether. You should already be learning to work from dad at home. So complaining about chores, not an option, not what we do. If you're not going to work at home, your dad should not set out a plate for you at the table. I am now not all the kids' favorite person in the world. Ask me if I care. I don't. So you need to learn this now. Because you're in a season of training to be a man. No one's going to hand it to you when you're head of your own house. You have to earn and provide it for yourself. Dads raising sons, don't put out a plate if they're not working. Dads who raise daughters, be shaping and forming in them what to look for in a man. I've already had conversations with my eldest that I'm like, how am I having this conversation with you? You were this big a minute ago. But now she's like this big. Talking to her, Evangelines, here are, the, here are the categories and characteristics you ought to look for in a man. And I pull no punches, young men, in case you're wondering. We set that standard high. Because for me to give my approval to someone to marry my daughter is the greatest possible compliment I could give to another human being. For me to say yes... When a young man says, can I marry your daughter, is the greatest possible yes I could give. Guess what one of the biggest boxes I'll be asking in my mind of that young man? Will he provide for her? Doesn't got to be rich, but he will at least sweat and work for it. If the answer is yes, you're well on your way to getting my yes. The answer is maybe it's a hard no for me. Yeah. Second consideration with the abundance of time we've got. A biblical man is called to protect his family. This one will be shorter. It was also a joke. Apparently too close to the truth. So we want to consider men's protection with regards to a general sense. Is there a general sense in which men are to be the protectors of those around them? Uh, Yes. If If you say, well, where in the Bible would you get that? 
only men could serve in Israel's armies. I, I don't think that that's like rocket science to figure out. If you were just to take a concordance and type in men of war all through the Old Testament. Is there an argument to be, to be made that even the physiological differences, I know that sounds so barbaric in our enlightened time period, but the fact that men are uh, in general bigger and stronger, is that indicative that they should be the primary protectors? Yeah, it actually is. I know it sounds barbaric. I don't care. Men are made by God to be a certain kind of way physically to do their duties. Women are made by God physically to do the things that God created them to do. One of them being childbirth, a thing that men cannot do. So is even our physiology indicative of the way that God made us to the duties that we should be doing? Yes. And I can already hear someone saying, but what about Deborah? You know, and Judges. And I'm like, if you use the book of Judges as normative, your hermeneutics are whacked and you need to rethink everything. She was set over the army of Israel as a judgment. Why? Because the dudes refused to do it. So if you're going to hold that up and be like, look at this. We should model that. You're, like, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. So... Um, only men could serve in the army. The differences in physical apparati, as I like to call the physical um, characteristics of a man. Uh, Adam was given the charge to guard and to keep the garden. So even he was set before the fall to be those who keep and protect things. Is it interesting that even before sin entered the world, Adam was given that task of guarding? Think of it. Before even sin entered the world. How much more needful is that today in a post-Genesis 3 world? Do you and I live in worlds with our families that are full of dangers that we need to protect against? Yeah, I I think you'd be pretty ignorant to say anything else. Um, is the world full of wicked people who are intent on doing wicked things? Yes. And as God set the man uh, in society as a protector, yeah. More particularly in his family, but even societally with the armies, they were meant to um, be those who were to take action if there was physical action needed to be taken. So that's, that's why... I think only men should be those engaged in combat, right? Because of the gall that God put on their life. Is there a unique way in which this works its way out in a marriage or in a family setting? Yes, there is. So if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians 5, look at verse 25. It's the, it's the last phrase. Again, looking at Christ the model, to us the image bearer, that Christ gave himself up for her. There's this idea of self-sacrificing. To, to give in such a way that it even comes at expense or risk of expense of your own life. Look down at verse 28. That they should love their uh, wives even as their own bodies. So just as the, the analogy is, as a man protects his own body... So he should protect his wife because he's one flesh with her and his children and those around them. 
Is there a sense in which that protection of them should, should come at such an expense that it might even cost his life? Absolutely. That is what you're called to, uh, called to do. To be willing to, at all costs, protect those around you in your family. Are there two elements uh, in protecting this? Yeah, I think there's two aspects. So when we think of physically protecting our families... There are two primary elements. The first one is ability. Do you have the ability to protect your family? The second is willingness. We'll play these two off each other. If you have not the ability, but you're all like zeal and willingness, are you going to be successful at protecting your family? No, you're, you're not. You don't have the ability to do that. So... Uh, included in this, and you might be like, man, this is overly specific. Maybe so, but I think it's necessary. You should have the physical capability, within reason, of protecting your family. That is one of the big arguments, no pun intended as to where I'm going, as to why I think being majorly overweight is problematic. It's really hard to uh, chase someone down um, when you're wheezing, right? Is there a physical apparatus God has given you? There is. Are there other things that you can, uh, unless you're like a felon, can acquire? Yes. If you acquire such, I'm talking about firearms, just in case anyone was wondering. If you acquire them, is there a moral capability to know exactly how to responsibly handle them? Yes. Is there an argument to be made that it is immoral to have such things and not have the ability to safely, accurately discharge them? Yeah, I think there's a moral problem with that. So if you're going to take that step where you would own a firearm to protect your family... There's a moral uh, imperative upon you to be a master or at least competent over that. If you have troubles in this area, you could talk to my dear friend, Jason Woodruff, and he could direct you in some helpful places. If you have all the ability of the world, the first element, but have no willingness, are you able to defend your family? No. You could have a, a safe full of guns with all the ammo in the world. If you don't have the willingness to lay down your life for your family or to risk for your family, it will not protect them. Is there a sense in which you should also be willing and able to defend yourself? You actually should. You're an image bearer of God. So you, maybe if you're like, I've got no one in my life but me, you're still an image bearer. You still have a calling on God on your life to do things for God and for his kingdom. So don't, don't pull this whole like, well, it's just me. I don't really care, man. I'm all about peace, bro. Um, yeah, I just think that's being a really poor steward of the life God's given you. And you really have a low view of the fact that you bear his image. And that he's still giving you life. And that for as long as you have that life, you should be using it for his honor and for his glory and the good of his kingdom. That would involve protecting those in your life as well as protecting yourself. So... The first element of uh, physical, so you need both ability and willingness. With regards to physical protection, 
living in a wicked world full of wicked people who want to do wicked things, I think the biggest area in which we can protect our family is going to be vigilance and, and thoughtfulness, right? The, the biggest area that I would try to work towards in my life and encourage you to work towards in yours is avoiding difficult and dangerous situations, not being foolish with yourself or your family. So vigilance is always going to be... Um, Priority. If you would talk to any of the law enforcement guys that go to our church and you would say, would you rather avoid getting attacked or like get attacked but be armed? I think they would probably say avoid it altogether just in case it goes badly. Um, with our families, keeping them out of dangerous situations. You can't isolate it. You can't raise them in a bunker. You can't insulate them so much that there's never a danger. But I've seen some guys take their families into situations where you're like, why would you do that? They would take them over to California. I'm just <laughs> But when I lived in Seattle, I, I did not ever take my family into downtown Seattle. I just wouldn't, just wouldn't do that. There's no need. I don't need to go see a bunch of homeless people with my family and not be able to have um, the ability to protect them, right? So being vigilant, being careful, not being paranoid. Is there a thin line between being vigilant and being paranoid? Yes. Do we all know that guy who's paranoid? Yes. And if you're like, no, you're probably that guy. (laughs) You're him. So should we be vigilant? Yes. Should we seek to avoid? Yes. Again, theologic with that idea of preserving and protecting those who are made in God's image. So keeping clear from dangerous situation when possible. Keeping clear of dangerous persons when possible. Should you know, um, due to free information, where certain individuals live in your neighborhoods? Yes. Guess what I did as a dad of daughters as soon as I moved into Sunridge? Check the registry. To my horror, my house was listed as one of them. I'm not, that's not joking. They had messed up on the paperwork and said that someone lived in my house who did not live in my house. That was uh, needed to get corrected because I didn't want our neighbors to think I was that person. So, (laughs) just being real honest right here. (laughs) Should we be aware and careful? Yeah, we should. Should we be willing and able to lay down our lives? We should. Should we engage in uh, fitness and, and good training? I think we should. Um, if you look in the scriptures, accidents are one th- are treated one way legally. Negligence is treated a different way legally. We're not to be negligent. Doesn't mean that you can't ever uh, accidentally and, and you know having eyes wide open find yourself in a difficult or dangerous situation. That's that that's just the world we live in. But negligence is treated very differently in God's law. And we can't afford as men to be negligent. So there's that physical aspect of protection. There's a spiritual aspect of protection. Part of this would involve what kind of church you set your family under. Another would be that you would teach them because the dangers in this world are not simply physical. They are spiritual. So... Part of chasing the snake out of the garden. Gentlemen, we'll just get real clear for a minute. 
I do not believe that your children should have unfettered, unlimited, and unsupervised access to the internet. We're on the same page with this. There are spiritual influences you as dad are called to do and protect. Will they like you for it? I don't care. I I just don't. You need to be able to explain to your kids why having unfettered access is not something that will happen. Or if they have a cell phone, uh, that they would not have the ability for people whom you do not know uh, communicating with them and accessing that. I do not want to divulge into or delve into horror stories of dads who didn't keep the watch on that and had their kids groomed and preyed upon by people who were intent on wickedness simply because they didn't want to be unliked by their kids. Right? Gentlemen, it's your job as a dad to watch guard over that. Now, here's the one where we're going to meddle a little even bit more. Husbands with your wife. Is it possible for there to be negative and destructive theological influences and or friends in her life? And some of y'all know that and allow the snake to stay in the garden. You need to really take careful Stock of the influences you allow with your wife. That may mean telling her certain books do not get to get read. Or blogs get to get visited. Or friends get to get contacted. You might say, that sounds so heavy-handed. Yeah, it might. But if you're going to, if these are genuine, negative, dangerous, destructive influences I hate to tell I'll just use one very vague analogy um, friend of mine did not pay attention to the to the friends his wife was keeping online and was shocked to come home one day and she was gone because he what he had allowed uh, they whispered and whispered and whispered in her ear until they convinced her to disappear and leave him, literally without him even being home. So don't think that this is paranoid or overly reactionary. Just being watchful, being vigilant, having those conversations early. Like, hey, what what is this? What's going on here? Being careful. Now, does that mean that there needs to be spiritual preparation and training? Like you need to know enough theology to know? Hey, she's reading Joyce Meyer. I don't know about this. Yeah, I mean, come on, that's low-hanging fruit, guys. But should you uh, know enough theologically to be able to identify the dangers? Yes, accidents can happen. Negligence is unacceptable. So knowing the influences... And does that take a bit of theological dexterity and carefulness? It does. It actually, it actually does take some theological training, intentionality, and carefulness, as well as living uh, uprightly in front of her. So hard to talk to her about negative influences in her life if guess what you're having in yours? Negative influences that are dragging you down and are 
wretched and uh, having an ill effect on you. We'd call that a hypocrite. Take the log out of your own eye. Help with the speck in hers, right? These are some of the things we're called to, brothers, and we're vastly over time, so we'll conclude there. But I want to encourage each and every one of you with regards to both the spiritual and the physical aspect of providing and protecting. This is a, a... Heavy, weighty burden, but here's the, here's the other thing. You don't do this alone. You might be like, I'm the only dude in my house. You are surrounded by a room of other dudes who love Jesus and want to do this better. And so if you're struggling to provide a protect in certain areas, talk to the dudes around you. God has given some really godly, wise men in this room who can help walk with you on providing for your family in those certain ways or protecting your family in other ways. Let's pray and we'll get going. Father, give us your grace as we strive to follow after you. Help us to be intentional, disciplined providers and protectors of our families. Lord, thank you for the uh, things that you've given into our lives for us to do. We pray that we do them well and for your glory. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.